Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to the School of Laughs podcast. Rick Roberts here. Today, we've got kind of a follow-up podcast. My buddy Brian Bates, who took the class way back in January of 2007, went pro January 1st of this past year, 2015. We're going to check in with him today uh, fairly extensively, see how his first year went, what he learned, what he can share with you guys as you embark on your journey. Maybe you're further down your journey and you could uh, hit Brian to a couple of uh, tips that will help him out after hearing the interview. Who knows? But make this as, uh, as personal as you want. As I'm asking Brian questions, I want you guys to think about the answers for yourself as well. Whether you've gone full-time or not, think about how uh, the questions I ask him would affect you and your journey as well. Real quickly, an iTunes review. This is from Super T. Ross <laughs> back on 12-21-2015. I first learned about this podcast just a few days ago. After listening to the first podcast, I became addicted, hopefully, to the podcast. In only a few days, I've listened to several of these podcasts. I'm on plan to listen to all of them. I've been a fan of Rick's for quite some time. It's great to be able to ask him questions via email and have him address them in his podcast. I plan to send him many questions. Hey, thank you very much, Super T. Ross, wow. uh, for tuning in. And hopefully you're addicted to the podcast, not something like painkillers to get over listening to the podcast. <laughs> He's a <laughs> fan I, of Rick Roberts. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I had any. Good deal. Thank you very much for sending those in. I probably t- ask you guys to send those in too often, but I enjoy reading them. It keeps me fired up. And we're at like, you know, between Stitcher and iTunes and the yeah. different countries, we're at like 89 or 90 or something. For, close. So we're averaging one an episode. So <laughs> if you only <laughs> listen to one episode, quickly leave a review before you delete me from your iTunes library. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for that. Uh, if you're tuning in for the very first time, this podcast, this podcast is all about helping aspiring and developing stand-up comics just get better. You know, some people live in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere. They don't have anybody to hang out with. And this is kind of like a digital green room that travels with you between your ears when you have time for it. And uh, so that's where we're coming at. Like I said, my guest today, Brian Bates. How's it going, buddy? Good, Rick. It's good to be here. I'm glad you were able to squeeze this in your schedule and that you were at home. And uh, I feel like we could have probably done this interview during a Titans game because there wasn't much action during (laughs) during those games either. Uh, We should have done that. That would have been fun. You, You know what? Yeah, we're here in Nashville, Tennessee, and the, the Titans are just abysmal for two years in a row, and I don't think there's any sign of it getting better. There's just too many things to fix, yeah, right? Yeah, there's a lot. And uh, Brian, a lot of holes. Brian's a season ticket holder, and I just thought <laughs> we probably could have done this podcast in the upper deck, because you take pictures of the stands, and there's it's nobody. empty. We could have told you. That would have been a fun podcast. Why don't they ask people to move down so at least the bottom rung is full? I mean, could, you think at some point the Titans organization said, third quarter, everybody moved down. Because <laughs> it looks like so bad on TV. a comedy show. Like, <laughs> if everybody can move up front, it would be a better show for <laughs> yeah, everyone. Exactly. She's like an open <laughs> mic. That's how bad the, the Titans are. <laughs> well, like I said earlier on, Brian, uh, I met way back 2007, mm-hmm. right at the beginning of the year. I was teaching a class at Bongo Java, I believe it was at that yep. point. And he just took the class kind of on a whim just for something fun to do. And then he took the next class yep. and then got on stage and then kept going and going and had a bunch of friends with him in that first group that kind of egged each other on. And here it is nine years later. Yep. It'll be nine years in January, yeah. right? 2016. Yeah. It's hard and to believe. It's hard to believe. And it took a while. I mean, Brian had a 
a good day job yep. that you worked for almost 20 years. Yeah, just right at 20 years, just a few months short of 20 years. So he wasn't just quitting a job at Applebee's and jumping on the old comedy bandwagon. No, he, I was a, a manager at a TV station here in Nashville and loved it and still love it, you know, the people there, but just finally got myself to the point where I was ready to make this leap. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a good two-decade run job, man. Yeah. And so that's, that's hard to pull up stakes from that and go to something new. So I know when we talked back a year ago, and I'll put the, the link to the first interview with Brian in the show notes so you guys maybe can listen to that, but you were kind of wondering, A, how would it feel right. not going into some place every single day right. and seeing the same group of people? So on that level, jumping into comedy full-time, what did you do to mentally make the most out of each day and mm-hmm. to like, like I, I would almost feel, and I did feel when I first started, like I was just kind of floating around, like I could disappear for two weeks and nobody would even know. Right. So how was that transition at the beginning? It was it was definitely hard and, and different, and um, it probably took me a couple of months to truly find my footing because I would be, you know, at home in the middle of the day and I'd be like, I'm on my friends, coworkers for 20 years or at work right now. And I'd, I know Tuesdays at one o'clock, you know, we've got this meeting that should be happening, things like that. And I'd be at the downtown library and it would be moms with their kids and homeless people (laughs) and retirees. I'm like, this is weird. Why am I here? But I found that a lot of those, uh, traits that using your day job can still work in comedy. And I had to literally go on Google calendar and just put silly stuff on there almost on my calendar just to keep myself on schedule and help keep a schedule and, you know, having some kind of daily routine when you're not on the road. And then when you're on the road, having a routine as well. Yeah. That's what makes it hard because as you know, whether you're trying to eat right, work out, uh, and just have a daily routine for your business. When you get on the road, it's easy to get distracted at times. Yeah, travel days especially on the road. I I yeah. still sometimes struggle with eating well, you know. And you're just you get to the hotel and you got two hours. You're like, should I, should I lay down for an hour and clear mm-hmm. my mind, or should I drink some coffee and fire it up? You mm-hmm. know, those are all those little things you got to do to kind of make it through the day. Because traveling eight hours to get to the gig sometimes can just wear you down. It can. I mean, I kind of cut my. I don't eat much fast food, but when I'm on the road on the way to get somewhere. I don't, by myself, I'm not going to usually get off and sit at a nice restaurant. So I do hit a drive through sometimes. But when I get there, I try to find, go to a grocery store, Whole Foods or something, get some good healthy food if I'm going to be there for a few days and put it in the refrigerator. Yeah. So let's talk about just, let's talk about the road stuff for a second. I've, okay. I've got a list of questions we'll kind of weave in and out. But All right. I want to stay in the moment here. So when you're on the road, you're checking in, condo, hotel, either way. Yeah. When I did the road full time, I mean, I bought a toaster oven. I had a, uh, like, it wasn't a George Foreman grill at that time, but it was something like that, like a little sandwich maker. You did? Yeah, and I had a cooler, and I would, I'd would go spend about 10 or 12 bucks at the grocery, Yeah. get some sandwich meat, some bread, loaf of bread, you know, something to drink, two liter, <laughs> and I would, I would make my lunch sandwiches and save money that way. Did you did you do anything like that, or were you like, eh, I'm, I'm not needing I, to do that? I definitely, um, I didn't go that far, no, but I definitely would go and try to get some Good, healthy food, not just junk. And then I would take it home with me if I didn't finish it. I didn't leave it or throw it away. I would bring it back, pack it up and bring it back home with me. I remember sharing a condo <laughs> once with Henry Cho, and I went to the grocery store to get stuff and <laughs> came back, and he was like, what is 2% milk? Who drinks 2% milk? I'm like, well. The go- 2% do. Yeah. <laughs> 2% of us do. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's there is a, a, a weird thing. Like when you first start out, you kind of – 
you are on your own and all the money you make has to go right back into your business and, yes. and to what you're doing. So you gotta, you gotta be smart with your money. Yeah, boy. Um, for 20 years, that, <laughs> that tax money had been taken out before I ever saw my check. Mm-hmm. So I was always like, wow, how did Wesley Snipes get so far behind? <laughs> right. Honest. Yeah. But now I see how, like, wow, that first, cause I had to go to my accountant and that was a shock. Yeah, so let's talk about that. You went to the accountant the first year, yes. first full year, and, and said, okay, I'm getting into this. What can I deduct? What I, what can I not? Right. So what, what eye-opening statistics or facts did your accountant hip you to? Um, and you had – I had taken your business class before, so you brought some of this to my attention, but things like Netflix, movie – just stuff I do anyway, you know, can now be on that. And um, I got a, uh, you know, a credit card – just for comedy, mm-hmm. that makes it easier just to keep all those. So, whenever anything comedy related, um, you know, I just put it on that, and that helps kind of keep them separated and things like that. But just some entertainment type stuff like that. Um, if you go to see Seinfeld at the theater, yeah, you can deduct those tickets. Yeah, I was trying to think of an example of, of yeah, there was, um, but anything like a new lap, a laptop, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, that you know, I use for more than just comedy, but that's my main reason and. Um, part of your cell phone bill. Yep. Those kinds of things. Yep. Part of your home internet, if you're using that for yep. logging on and getting gigs. Lots of things like that to keep track of. Um, one thing I didn't ask you ahead of time was like your mileage. Do you know roughly how many miles you drove this year hmm. for comedy? Or I can I, remember some pretty big years when I was hitting the road. Yeah, I don't know. Um, boy, you know, that's. I've obviously had some really long trips. But at the same time, I'm not driving to work every day, so there are a lot of times I don't drive hardly all week. So mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that, but I'd be curious. Have you kept track of your miles throughout the year? Yeah, I just don't have it here okay. with me. Because um, that's a you know fifty cents a mile deduction. Oh yeah, there was. I remember the first couple of years I did comedy, like I was I didn't have to pay any taxes because my mileage was so high. Like really, that, that one deduction was like oh gosh, you know, really? I was driving wow. thirty thousand, twenty five, thirty thousand miles. Really? First no. year. I don't think I've, I've driven that much, but, you know, I've been paying quarterly taxes now, so hopefully there won't be any big, one big shocker. Yeah, that's the, that is one thing. When you go full-time, you do, and you're self-employed, you got to do quarterly estimates. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I didn't do that for the first three or four years, because I, mentally, I thought I have to get my receipts and everything prepared every single quarter, and it's like doing the wor- work I hate four times instead right. of once. But it's not that. If you're listening, first get into it, you... Your first full year, they're going to say, do you think you're going to make that next year? Yeah, I think I'll make that next year. Okay, we're going to base our taxes off of that. Yeah. If you go under, you can get penalized. If you go over, you can get penalized. Right. But I've never been penalized either way. Now, you get penalized, like, if you way, go way over? Yeah, if you go way over, for some reason, they'll penalize you. But what, what you'll end for up doing— For making a mistake? Yeah, for, for guessing wrong. But they never actually do it. There's a threat of penalty. Uh. I think it's just there to keep people from going way under. Yeah. From, like— because the government is earning interest on that money, yeah, you know, in every quarter now instead of waiting to the end of the year to earn interest on your money. Mm. So anyway, I'm not a tax guy. I don't get too deep into that stuff. But yeah, lots of deductions, lots of things to be careful on the road. Spending your money, spending your time. You know, I always always look at everything that I did and think, you know, can this be a deduction? Is this something a that's even helping me do stand up, or is it right. distracting from what I'm doing? Yeah, that's the one mindset I think I'm in now. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, when I first started doing, when I first got that started doing comedy full-time and got that credit card and things like that. I would just so many times after I bought something and, and I know I can still go back and deduct it, but mm-hmm. I would think, Oh man, why didn't I put that on my 
comedy credit card. That's totally what that's for. Right. And now I'm almost in the mindset, any purchase I make, that's the first thing I think. And then if it's like, no, that's nothing related, then I put it on my other credit card. Right. Did you get an airline card? No. You should get the Southwest card. Yeah. It's probably the best rewards card there is out there. Yeah, I hear that. Nate has that, and it's I hear it's good. Yeah. What, did you get Capital One? Uh, no, it's through my bank. Sun, it's through SunTrust. Okay, I need to get rid of that immediately. Okay, do it on January first. I'm serious. All right, why? Uh, well, we'll talk about it at lunch. Okay, because <laughs> we're gonna put the lunch on your card. No, just kidding. All right. No, but Southwest card by far. If you're a comedian, no other reason to have any other card. Okay. Just the rewards, the stuff you can do with it, it's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So, and if you're listening out there, Southwest is the way to go with the card. I don't care if you've been flying them or not. It's the best card out there. All right. Okay. Cool. Um. With one year behind you, looking into this the next year, yeah, what are some things that kind of with this perspective you know that you're going to do more of or less of? Hmm. Well, you know, I had a some of my goals were maybe a little far fetched. Not that they wouldn't be far fetched if I was the most uh, prolific writer. You're <laughs> on prolific the, on though. the planet. Well, thank you, but. You know, I had like a big chunk of my day. I was going to set aside each day for writing, and which that's great if you can do it. But realistically, um, you know, unless you're Stephen King or something, I'm not going to be sitting behind a keyboard for right. multiple hours a day every day doing that. And you just got to find your way, I guess. And some things are probably maybe less realistic, and there's some things you have to devote more toward. I mean, it doesn't take that long to fire off a bunch of emails to potential bookers mm-hmm. and things like that. It's not like Maybe the old days where you call and they have you on hold for 30 minutes or something like that. Uh, once you get a routine down and, you know, I, I weekly have the same time each week that I fire off emails to different places, different, you know, that I think it's the best chance to. That didn't take that long, though. No, I'm, that's a good uh, angle you have there, though. There is a time where I think bookers are more responsive mm-hmm. and less responsive. I, I would never, and this is just me, I would never try to contact a booker on a Monday or a Friday. Mm. Monday, they're catching up with mm-hmm. all the calls from the, the past weekend, seeing how the gigs went, mm-hmm. doing all that paperwork. Plus, it's Monday. I, I try not to bother anybody on Monday. Mm-hmm. Friday, obviously, they're gearing up for the weekend or trying to get out of there. Right. So I always thought middle of the week, best right. chance. Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm not going to ask you your specific time or, or well, day. It was, because it was I Mondays, but not now. <laughs> <laughs> Forget that, buddy. Yeah. But, yeah, you want to find a time that works. And, you, and obviously, if you see them pop online and shoot out an email, that's a, that's a time when they're active on the Internet. Might, well, might right. as well hit them back up. Right. That's cool. Are there were there bookers or agencies that are still you haven't got in with? Like, because I know yes. for me there were some that just took ten years. All right, I'll I'll share a couple examples. Sure. One, uh, at the big. I mean, so one year ago, um, somebody uh, recommended me to Funny Business mm-hmm. Yoders, and so for a year now I've been emailing them, and just a couple weeks ago. I finally got offered a gig. So it took a whole year of emailing them with nothing, and then I got offered a gig. So that's a persistence and that's success good. story. That just shows that you got to keep doing it, and they do see them and and things like that. So that's that's an example of one. Um, you know, one that I wish I'd have done differently, um, Comedy Zone. You know, when I still had a day job and I kind of got in a little bit with Comedy Zone, I turned down some gigs because I just couldn't do it because of my job mm-hmm. and um, wasn't real aggressive about 
sending them my veils and things like that kind of stayed a little bit more off the radar than I should have, but because I knew that I couldn't do it. And so now it's kind of hard, you know how that is. Right. You turn down many gigs, you're not going to get that many offers. So it's hard to sometimes stay on the radar. But, um, um, I think you maybe asked me, uh, what's before something about like how often or, um, what's the, how much is too much pestering and what's not enough? Yes, yes, and things like that. So I guess there's a delicate balance. You also asked me, like, what's the furthest out I'd booked? Yeah. And what's uh, what's the uh, the quickest, I guess, turnaround? Yeah, the, I'm always curious of trends, and, and, and for different people it's different in different agencies, but how uh, how short-term and how long-term do you have bookings? Long-term, and I know you have a bunch like this, but this is definitely longest for me. Over, I had one that was booked over a year out. Mm-hmm. It was a corporate show, and... She contacted me uh, last February for a gig in March, and I thought, sure, I'll do it. And then it turns out it was March of this year, like (laughs) over a year out. Right. And then the short one, so this was about two weeks after I quit my job, two weeks into January, and uh, it was Comedy Zone, and they emailed me on a Wednesday and said, could you do Jacksonville, Florida, Thursday through Sunday? And I, my f- initial thought was, because I'm still in my old work mindset, was that's tomorrow. I can't be in Jacksonville, Florida tomorrow. Right. And then I started thinking, well, why why can't you? You're There's nothing keeping you from doing it. Right. So, yeah, I can. So I took it. And, I mean, that's that's quick notice. And, and you get all the way down there and they double booked. <laughs> <laughs> no, that happens sometimes, but thankfully no. Yeah. And uh, I hit the road the next morning and drove about nine hours to Jacksonville, Florida. And that's, and you know, that was less than 24-hour notice yeah and you know what when you when you help bail those guys out on short notice like that they they tend to remember that yeah you know so hopefully that'll come back around for you and, and help you out now when you weren't booked you know you're here in nashville which is, which is a pretty good comedy town yep how often i mean did you keep track in your book of how many nights you got on stage i did how many let's talk about that first. okay so i counted this up yesterday because um i was curious because i mean this we're recording this at the very end of the year so i wanted to see how many i did in 2015 overall Times on stage, and I could have missed one because, but I was going through my book. I counted 149 times, so That's I made pretty good. I made I got two more days in the new year right here. I mean, in the 2015, I may try to do one more so I can say I did 150. Yeah, I think I would do that. Yeah, so um, that's everything. That's open mics, book shows. Okay. Every that's total. That's a lot. 150 times on stage. Yeah, I thought so. And did you notice now without the the day job in the way? Just getting better, tighter, faster, mm-hmm. multiple opportunities, same week, you know, doing a, a club week, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, tough gigs are still tough gigs. I just, just a couple of weeks ago, I had one of my toughest gigs of the whole year, a whole week of shows where they were all, the crowd was just tight. And I just couldn't get them. And you know how that is. You, uh-huh. you get, by the end of the week, you're like, man, I need to <laughs> yes. think about something else. Yeah. It's weird. Those are weird states to get into, you know, like you, you know your material worked everywhere else, yeah. or you wouldn't be doing it. And then you, you're even doing your best material. You're even tightening things up in yeah. case you're losing them because things are too wordy. And it's just not a good fit sometimes. A particular, and it could be different every other time you go back to that same place. Mm-hmm. But that one week, eh. yeah, and it just was a tough week, and and it does make you think. But then two nights later, I got to do a corporate Christmas show, and it went great. And then you know you feel on top of the world, yeah. Like, and it could be at the at that other gig too. The uh, were you in the middle spot opening? I was in the uh, well. The first two nights, the MC didn't show, so it was a two man show. Okay, but so that makes it a little bit different. It does make it difficult. But even when I was in the middle, you know, they were pretty tight. Hmm. And how'd the headliner do? 
he killed it actually. He played keyboard and uh you know it's at Christmas time and he sang some Christmas songs and things like that and there's a lot of company Christmas parties there and I think that can go either way mm-hmm. at a comedy club because I think, hey, we're out of our element and I don't know, Betty better not drink too much, you know, or right. something like that. <laughs> right. Everybody was kind of, I feel like everyone was just kinda of tight. Yeah, you know it's that's a good point. Like I obviously do a lot of company parties and stuff, that's kind of my deal. And I'd rather do them in their place than at a comedy club, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Because it, there is that extra element of they're kind of leery about what's going on and they're watching. I'd, I prefer a sober crowd, all the lights up. Right. You know, that's, that's it's, I know it's different than almost every comic out there, but that's the way. I like it clean and we're all in the same place. There's no place to hide. Most comics like it dark so they can't even see the crowd. Right. Uh, but everybody has their own deal. I find that, I feel like if they're at their own place and it's only them – then they feel more comfortable to just kind of let it loose. But at a comedy club where it's them, but there's also other patrons and things, everyone just kind of feels a little awkward at times. Yeah, and I've definitely been in that situation at Stardome, for sure, the seats like 450, yeah. where they've had 10 different company parties going on at the same time. <laughs> you know, so different pockets of the room yeah. are laughing at different things. Or, yep. or you say something that really relates to Bobby over here at, yep. at Jiffy Lube, and then they all go crazy, and the rest of the crowd's looking at them like they're... They feel left out. Yeah, it's a very weird di- That was some of that, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, just, just knowing that going in, though... Should help you deal with it. Yeah, like, you know it's it's going it's to be one of those kind of weeks where people are doing that, and you know I just try to my best to zero in on the common denominator for that group now within what I do. In a situation like that, let me ask you this: because I was trying to determine which the best way to go, there were times I felt like I just had to keep just keep hitting them, and and just you know not even let up. And then there were other times I thought, well, maybe I should be slowing down and talk to them more. And I know every crowd's different. But there were times I feel like I went too fast and I should have just slowed down and give it a little time to breathe. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, you know, probably on the on the nights where the MC didn't show up, yeah, I would make sure that I acknowledge all the different groups that are there yeah. and at least talk to each group a little bit. Okay, I know we got five different company parties going on here. Uh, this group over here, where are you guys from? You know, what do you guys do? Mm-hmm. You know, and then see if I have any jokes that relate to that group. Right. You know, if it's a banking joke, talk about how I'm broke or whatever. Yeah. Then go to the next group, and then you have all that information in the back of your mind to maybe play off of each other during the rest of your set. Right. So if you and, some callbacks, yeah, maybe you do a joke later on. Uh, let's just take the banking group for example, uh, and it's money related, and you you can look over at the banking group and go, now you guys would never have that problem because you guys know how to handle money. But the group over here from Payday Advance, you know, you know maybe play them yeah. against each other. Yeah. Um, I I tend to do that when I do my. <laughs> corporate events where I do Barney Fife before. Yeah. I go around and gather information and, and I just ask people, like, who's the guy in this group that everybody, you know, yeah. likes or dislikes or whatever. And so I've got all that in the back of my mind during the show. Yeah. And I can play that during, it kind of keeps me more inter- interactive with the crowd mentally and it, it gives you extra laughs where you don't have them. Right. You know, so, and it's a one-time deal. Like, you can't talk about that dude at the next party in Wichita because, you know, <laughs> nobody knows that Ben eats too much or whatever. But, it's, but it's you could always use that line, hey, I need to take you with me everywhere. Right, Because right. they always love that. Yeah, and sometimes I'll do that, too. If a guy gets up to sing with me and he does yeah. really good, I'm like, hey, you know, and I'll literally just say the next place I'm going to, you know, what are you doing Tuesday? <laughs> you want to go to Portsmouth, Ohio with me? And he gets a big laugh, and then the guy usually comes up afterwards and goes, can I? Can I? <laughs> no, he's terrified afterwards. Well, that's cool. Um, do you know how many weeks – I don't know if this is kind of a hard guesstimate to say, but how many weeks of the year you had a paid gig out of 52? Mm, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say at least half of the month you had a week where you were 
Yeah, on average, I would say probably about half. So, you know, maybe 25 weeks out of the year. I had a lot of one-nighters, um, if not full weeks, a lot of one-nighters, a lot of theater shows with, with Henry Cho and things like that and um, some one-nighter gigs. So I would say at least two of the four weeks a month I had paid book gigs. They may not have been full weeks, though. Mm-hmm. And are you selling any merch yet? I know you have a CD, but did you ever mass produce that CD? Or did I you didn't because that was a pretty uh, pretty short CD. And that was one of my goals for 2015 that I did not do was to put out a CD. So you need to get, make that happen. Yeah, that's it's on my list for 2016. Yeah. Find, uh, I don't know, I, I can talk to you at lunch about some clubs that are well-suited for recording. Yeah. Uh, and you can certainly borrow my recording stuff if you want to take it with you Okay. to help out. This is going great. This lunch is going to be an awesome lunch. <laughs> yeah, who's going to write it off? I don't know. I will. Uh, cool. And then you mentioned you did some some corporate events. How many of those throughout the year do you think you did? Mm, you know, I did some back in the spring. Um, you know, I, not a ton. Uh, I was trying to think corporate gigs. I did a couple of colleges this year, which was different. And because I haven't done colleges in a few years, and that was I may be too old for colleges. <laughs> yeah, it, it can definitely feel that way. Yeah, your material is really strong, though. I mean, I got to see you do a set recently, mm-hmm. you know, 10 or 15 minute set, right? Really strong. And I know some of that stuff was new too that you were doing. Yeah, so I always feel like you know, whether it's a college group or corporate group or whatever, the material is going to stand on its own. Sometimes they may or may not relate to you age wise right. or whatever, dem- demo wise, but right. the material. Is pretty strong. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so, in going forward in this new year, you know, we can talk about it here. Maybe I can give you some ideas. But what is your plan as far as marketing yourself and getting your name out there so that more people who you're not on the radar right now can find you? Well, some of the things I did in 2015 that I should have should have even have done before I started that you told me I should have done is um, I got a website. Um, business cards, a new headshot. And the new headshot, that's great for a lot of reasons because so many clubs, you know, they need a fresh updated headshot to put on their website or posters or things like that. There's a lot of things you can use that for. Um, As far as uh, going forward 2016, some of my goals, I don't know about, this is not marketing, um, but... um, one thing that's just so easy to do nowadays, and there's really no excuse for not doing, is record every one of your sets, either at least audio record with your phone or video. I, I mean, I have a little tripod for my iPhone, and there's no reason you shouldn't be recording almost every one of your sets and watching it and, and editing things like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as far as marketing, I'm open, Rick. We can discuss this at lunch, or well, I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you a right couple of ideas, and I can tell you a few things that worked for me this okay. year that uh, I, I hadn't known about or didn't use before. Uh, getting that email list, like we say, is super important. Mm-hmm. So you need to have something after your show to uh, appeal to people to join your email list. Now you don't have a physical CD, but you have the digital files yep. that you you know have sent into SiriusXM and those different places. So you've got those. I would ask your web guy to hook up something on your website where they can download your current recording mm-hmm. uh, for in exchange for their email address as as the first opt-in mm-hmm. to, to kind of get them to to surrender their email address for you. Uh, and that would tell you two things. One, that they enjoyed your show and they wanted to keep in contact with you. And two, everybody that got that first free CD 
would be on your mailing list when you had your next CD or your DVD or whatever to promote and send out. So definitely you want to start collecting those email addresses. Um, same things for, for bookers and stuff. Keep those up to date. Uh, but here's a tool that you can use. Everybody listening out there might want to check this out. It's a Google plugin. All right. So to make this really work, you have to have a, a Gmail address. I have that. And you've got that already. And it's called Yet Another Mail Merge. I've never heard of this. Okay. So I just it's Y-A-M-M. I just call it YAM. Okay. And what it does, it gives you some of the ability of a newsletter thing like MailChimp or AWeber or Constant Contact. Yeah. Um, but it is, what's the best way to explain it? It's not a spam marketing tool, but you can use it in a way to contact people that you couldn't with a newsletter. So let me just distinguish what that means. Yeah, give me an example. So if you send a newsletter to somebody, they need to opt in to receive that newsletter. So if you have something on your website or an email list after the club, you can just say, if, if you sign up from a newsletter list, is it okay if I send this to you once a month? Mm -hmm. You're clear, then you can update that information into whatever constant contact or whatever you have, and you could automatically send them something out every month. There are people who you collect their email addresses, but you never ask them if you could send them anything. People at give you business cards after the show or whatever. Right. Um, with those, I put in a separate spreadsheet in a Google document. It's a, on Google Drive. So all this stuff is free. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can go to uh, Yam, which yet another mail merges, a Google plugin, look in their apps and plugin store. And then you hook your Gmail account up to that. So you pull up your spreadsheet that has all the emails that you collected, but nobody opted into anything. Okay. You follow me so far? Yep. Okay, so... With an, In Gmail, you set up a template email, and it can be personalized. Okay. If you know the person's name, you can put that in the second column of your spreadsheet. And so in the subject line, you could start with their name, Steve, and then like a dash, uh, just touching base about upcoming events right. or what have you. Say, say this is a, a group of people you've collected after corporate shows. Then the base of the email, you're going to say, hey, Steve, and it's a little place where you put in his name, Steve. Um, recently, you attended one of my shows. I collected your business card just wanted to keep in touch with you to see if you knew of anyone that had upcoming corporate events where they need a comedian mm. um, if, if not no big deal but just wanted to keep touch and also would, would you like to join my newsletter list mm -hmm. okay so you create that email and you might have at the beginning 15 or 30 or 100 right. names and with the push of one button everybody gets that email and it's personalized to them right and so you're not breaking any rules with <laughs> constant contact or MailChimp of spamming somebody who didn't opt in because mm -hmm. they can shut down your account if you do that. But you're sending them an email from your Gmail account that looks personalized, and it simply asks them if you would like to join my newsletter list on the other side. Ah. So it's kind of like a pre-qualifying email. Okay. Now, some people will shoot back an email, a very low percentage, but a few will send back, hey, I'm, I didn't want to be on this mailing list in the first place. Take me off. Okay, just say, sorry, it's not an email list, but I just right. wanted to find out if you wanted to get on one. Right. Just delete them, and you never have to bother them again. But other people will come back and respond, hey, you know, I'm going to pass this information on to so-and-so or what have you. Yeah. So in your email that you send to them, it has a couple of links they can click. I always include, like, a video link so that if they don't remember me, they can click on it and go, oh, that's who that dude is. Yeah. My email, you know, my website address and a couple other things. But you don't want to overdo it. Right. You want to have really one clear call to action. Okay. CTA, call to action. Each yeah. email you send out should have one, whether it's call me now, I reply by this date for a free download of my <coughs> digital CD, what have you, and just nurture that one list and kind of move them from the casual fan over to the, hey, I want to be on your newsletter list. Mm -hmm. Then you take them off the Gmail list and put them in your mail mm. account. 
All Yet right. another mail merge. Mail merge. Yeah. All right. So if, if I remember, I'm going to make a note right now. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes so you guys that are listening can check that out. Now, the yet another mail merge, <coughs> it's free up to 99 or 100 emails per day. Okay. Which is a lot. For, I think it's 12 bucks a year, you can send out 400 a day, oh. which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So just as your list grows, you can grow with it. Yeah. But 100 emails a day, if you're doing that and you've got that size of a list, you know, it's, it's a, something worth, worth, worth pursuing. And I had collected emails over the past 20 years from all kinds of people. <coughs> I couldn't even remember who some of them were. Right. And, and that they, helps you keep them organized? Yeah. So I, I spent all of July and August, every free afternoon here in the office, collecting those and putting them in that list just to kind of see who they were. Right. And then I sent out some blasts. And obviously, over 20 years, some of those emails bounced. Those people aren't there anymore. So I just deleted them and cleared them out of my address book. But I got a lot of responses back from people who were like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing you three years ago. And you know what? We do have a party coming up. And I, I know in this past year, and this I started in July, I guess August is when I started firing off the emails. I know I booked eight gigs off of it this year mm-hmm. and hopefully a lot more next year. So that's one tool you can use to kind of, hopefully that will incentivize you to get an email list together because you can do things with it. Right. And, you know, if nothing else, just keep those people updated on what you're doing. I remember another piece of advice you gave me that I've, I've used and with mixed results, but it's a great piece of advice. I was doing a gig out of town that basically was going to break even money-wise, and you said, well, to maximize that, reach out to the local Chamber of Commerce, invite them to a show. If the club won't pay the tickets, then just eat the ticket. I mean, so they can get in for free, mm-hmm. and then if they really like you, then they may invite you to do some other business, local Chamber of Commerce events down there to get more money from it. And I've, I've done that, and even the other way around, there's been corporate gigs here in Nashville that I've bid on because something like a, like a Gig Masters or Gig Sell or something like that. And then I've invited them to Zany's. I'll happen to be at Zany's, you know, coming up. And I say, hey, if you want to see what I'm like before you make your decision, come out to Zany's and see me and things like that. And that's just a good way to market yourself. Yeah. That, those are, I'm glad you brought those back up because that's, that's something everybody should be doing all the time. And it's hard to keep all these balls in the air and juggle everything. But inviting people to see your live show is probably the best way to get booked yeah. for a future event. They see you in an environment. You may stand out that night. Um, you'll at least stand out as being the cleanest person on the show, probably. Right, right. And so they'll see that you were able to work in an environment where some people weren't going clean, and you did just as well as the people that were dirty. And that that in their mind will go, okay, this guy's funny, funny. You know, there's a lot of ways that the live performance can help. And you know what? If you have a horrible set, it's only three or four people that showed up. Right. That we're on the fence about even booking you in the first place. Exactly. No harm. No. I mean, your your ratio of possibilities are way high mm-hmm. and way positive inviting people out. I think so. Comedy is one of those things just almost always going to be better live, even more than music, I think. I think so. It's just a huge difference. Yeah, music is almost never as good live. <laughs> you know, the music itself. Yeah, the that's true. The performance is fun, but the sound is there's something or there's somebody screaming in your ear. That's true. All around you. But some of the funniest stand-ups going you can tell your friends about and they'll go watch them on netflix and they're like yeah they're okay right. but if they saw them live they would think they're unbelievable yeah yes it's very interesting yeah that's cool man well i'll, I'll talk to you more about some marketing ideas at lunch okay um it's but there's a, a long lot of lunch you, yeah, we better quit talking right <laughs> now and move along uh other things that you're thinking about as, as far as as moving into the new year are there <clears throat> any cl- clubs or places you don't have to name any names but gigs you did where you're like you know what 
it was worth a shot. I tried it. That that's just not my crowd, or it's it's not the vibe I want to play into. Because, you know, I know being a clean comic and being a Christian comic, there's sometimes environments that you're in. You're like, yeah, you know, am I shining the light here? Is anybody even seeing the light that I'm shining? Or should I just <laughs> go shine it somewhere else? Yeah, there's definitely some of those, and yeah, I don't want to name them because I <laughs> in six months I'm like calling them, begging them. Yeah, I mean, please let me come back. Work is work. Work is work, but yeah, just because there's just such a rough environment and just the overall negative environment there, um, it's just, I'm not probably ever going to succeed there. And I know you need to take those tough gigs because they make you better. I totally get that. And you, you can't just take the easy gigs, but they're, I have enough tough gigs. I don't need to take the ones that are just, you know. There's not much to be gained from. Right. Yeah, there, there is a point where it's not even a break-even. It's a yeah. bringing you down a notch kind of gig. It is. It's just depressing almost. And on the same note, were you thinking about starting your own gig, monthly gig, or an open mic, or some kind of stage time in Nashville? Yeah, that's something I've bounced around, and I've met with a few people about that. I'm still looking at uh, the right uh, you know, the right venue and making sure, figuring out the right night and things like that. Makes it, there's a lot of good, obviously, places in Nashville to do that at and um there's a lot of good open mics in town and a lot of good rooms but um that's something i haven't done since when i first started you know the group of students that mm-hmm. took your class we had some regular shows but i haven't done that in years so that, i think that might be fun to i think it'd be a great thing it would help me in a lot of different ways learn a lot of new tools and it would help me stay in touch with the local comics and community and network there's a lot to be gained from it yeah let's talk about networking as we close out here yeah um, you know, you mentioned you opened some shows for Henry Cho and stuff last year. How important are you realizing the networking aspect of comedy is? Even if it's not your natural tendency to like hang out, call people, or email, or even touch space. I think it's essential. It's just like any business. Networking so important, and everyone has different uh, definitions of what's networking and what's kissing up to someone. And I guess the bigger network you are, the other people are like, ah, oh, they're just a kiss it's not that it's just i find like networking is as much as anything just being a good person and a normal human being not hitting people up for work as soon as you meet them or what they can do for you but just it's great if you could do something for them but just i think people appreciate just not uh now that's talking about i'm talking about individual comedians obviously comedy clubs know that your your main goal is to get booked there but here's an example of one that um worked out that wasn't my ulterior motive, but it just it's a good example. Kevin Nealon, I did a show with him at the City Winery in Nashville this year. And I got that because I became friends with his wife. His wife's uh from Nashville and I'd worked with Kevin at Zaney's um a few years back and she's from Nashville and she's an actress and she was on Parks and Recreation. I watched Parks and Recreation and we just kinda hit it off super nice and grew up in Nashville so we have a lot of common lot a lot of mutual friends and stay in touch and when I saw Kevin was going to be at the city winery, I just emailed her and said, hey, Kevin's probably got his own opener, but if not, I'm available. And she emailed me immediately back and said, we'd love to have you. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and uh, Kevin's great. Oh, he's a f- I've worked with him a couple of times. He's, he's such he's, a good down-to-earth person. And even His whole act is so self-deprecating. It is. At some point, you just want to go on stage and go, hey, man, you're actually funny. Don't, don't be selling yourself short. But That's probably why I like him. Yeah. Like, almost... <laughs> This is weird, but like when I his jokes are like a cinnamon roll. Stay with me here for a second. Okay. Like he'll start with the premise and he'll circle it. Yep. And he'll circle it. He'll get yep. a little bit more into it. Yep. Like, you can't get any deeper. And they get and it keeps going in until it gets to this very precise point in the middle where all the sugar stays. 
and he wow. hits that, and then he then he almost unravels it before he gets the next cinnamon roll out. Does that make sense? From you've worked with him? Yeah, it does. Uh, like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of that I shut that party down joke. I don't know if you've seen that. Where he's like, I got these neighbors across the street, and they're so loud. I, I said, I'm going to shut your party down. So what I did, I closed my blinds. I shut that party down, <laughs> shut it down. It got a little bit loud. I said, I'm not going to take this anymore. So you know what I did? I went and got some earplugs, made sure the blinds were closed, and I shut that party down. <laughs> yeah. About an hour later, they piped up again. You know what I did? I went up and took some Tylenol PM, and I shut that party down. And like he just keeps circling back into it, you know. Yeah. And it's just like one of these, like I don't know, like I can visualize how people write sometimes. Well, his closer, and I've seen him do this a couple times. I don't know if you've seen this. His, have you seen his closer where he keeps coming back out? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. He, he says good night. Obviously, the crowd applauds. He comes out shocked, su- like surprised. He got a ovation to come back out, and then he goes off, and he just keeps coming back out. And the first few times he's like thank you but i really need to go good night <laughs> and by the seventh time i mean he really does it like i've seen him do it <laughs> yeah. seven times he's furious you know it's hilarious i am not i've given you all i've got yeah i, I have an attorney and i will sue every <laughs> one of you not as a group individually every one of you if you do not stop this it's so funny it is a hilarious closure he has man. such a good dry sense of humor yeah well, so well that's that was, cool so a little networking came in handy there and just it was, it was just you offering to help out if it needed somebody and boom yeah i mean i had to make the effort to you know stay on the radar and reach out but uh you know when i became friends with her a few years ago it wasn't because i thought oh boy i bet someday you know down three years down the road i'll get a i'll be gig. working the winery yeah exactly <laughs> exactly the place wasn't even built yet yeah well that's something i think it's worthwhile everybody to make a note of i mean you know it's funny, like comics, you can see somebody three years from now that you haven't seen in three years, and it's mm-hmm. just like you're right back where you were. You know, you picked up the same conversation, that kind of deal. Right. But it's important, you know, in, in marketing and sales, they call them touches. Like with past clients, you want to, you know, establish how many touches you want throughout the year to kind of keep on the radar. Right. You know, a quarterly touch at the minimum. Um, some people do it, you know, nine times a year. If it's somebody that's never hired you before, you know, typically any kind of sales thing, it takes eight or nine touches before they go, okay. I'm going to buy this or I'm going to you know, purchase this or right. I'll hire this guy or what have you. So, you know, with their best interest in mind, you touch base, whether it's, you know, for example, some of the companies that I work for. Yes. I may not really want to perform for them for another three years when I've completely rotated my show mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, I, I, that's a nice time, two or three for me. But in the meantime, if I see an article in the news that pertains to their business or their um you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Anything that they would find interesting. Yeah. I just might send them a link, nothing in return expected to say, hey, I saw this, thought of you, uh, check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, not asking for work, but just kind of staying on the radar, but giving them something of value in the meantime. Yeah, I have not companies like that, but uh, either other comedians or bookers or things like that, um, that, yeah, it touches. I mean, I don't, I maybe talk to them once a quarter or something like that, just a text or something mm-hmm. or just something like that, or Facebook or something like that, just to let them know I'm still alive and <laughs> yeah, not fall off the radar. Yeah, and if you see them doing something cool, they're on TV or they've got a, a video that blows up or yep. whatever, you say, hey, or so-and-so, I was at a club and they were just talking about you, just letting them know that, hey, I'm thinking about you, not asking for work, but just, you know. Yeah, I had a friend that just, yeah, had a new hour special came out and sent him a, a message and th- that I loved it, and I really did. I didn't just, you know, I try not to say things that aren't true. But sure. But gave him a sincere compliment about stuff I liked about it. And, uh, you know, just good to let him know. Just sent Brian Regan a little text. Hey, nice effort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, I know we're hungry. We're going to go grab a bite to eat. 
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Now, I asked Brian a bunch of questions. I'm going to put these kind of in the show notes so you guys can kind of interview yourself, ask yourself some of the same questions. What did you do last year that, that worked for you? What didn't work? What are you going to change? And also, if you listen to this podcast uh, and you're not on the Insider Tip Sheet newsletter, all you got to do is send us an email to schooloflast at gmail.com in the subject line, ask to be put on the Insider Tip News Sheet. And this month coming out in January, I'm going to put it in the Goals Tracker. Mm. I do that every year, and it's a, a list of, I think there's 32 different things you can track from the beginning of the year to the end to see how you progress, whether it's how many YouTube subscribers you added, how many videos you put up, how many clubs you booked, all those kinds of things. Well, that's cool. So, if, yeah, if you guys listen to this episode, I'll make sure you get one, Brian, too, so you can kind of keep track. I'll send that out to you, but just request it in the tip sheet, that schooloflast at gmail.com, and I'll hook you guys up. Appreciate everybody that's listened throughout the year, 80-something uh, episodes into it now. And next year, there's going to be a few new things that we're going to do to kind of give you some more value and some more interaction. I know Brian's listened to all of them. He, uh, he's been there since the beginning and still picks up a few tips, yep. it sounds like. I love it. And we'll have a lot for you in the new year. Be safe out there. Have safe gigs. And I'll talk to you guys next week. for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.